This morning, uh, this Sunday, is Transfiguration Sunday. It marks the end of the season of Epiphany, which started on Sunday, January 8th. Epiphany is always January 6th. And Epiphany is a season of aha moments, of insight into who Jesus is as God's only son. On Epiphany is traditional that first Sunday, January 8th, was Baptism of Our Lord Sunday. And we'll hear a verse that's spoken over Jesus at his baptism is spoken again here on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And so it's a perfect, the season of a book ended by this insight into who Jesus is as God's own son. Why don't we pray as we begin today? Holy and loving God, we pray on this Transfiguration Sunday as Jesus is the light of the world, that our eyes would be open to see him clearly, to listen to him and follow him each day and every day. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, I spent uh, 14 years in California. The last seven years in California, I was living in Oakland with my family, and uh, the ocean is very close to Oakland. Uh, and so I decided that I was going to learn how to surf. Surfing is really hard, and I'm not a good surfer. I never became a good surfer. But um, I would go out either to Ocean Beach, which is the ocean on the other side of San Francisco. It's right there in the city of San Francisco. Or I'd drive down to Capitola, which is just south of Santa Cruz. And that was my favorite spot to go. And I knew this before surfing, but surfing confirmed it. The ocean can be overwhelming. <laughs> the ocean's power can overwhelm you just knock you off your board, level you. If you're sta even standing on the beach and a wave comes in and all of a sudden, the ocean's power is overwhelming, but the ocean's beauty is also overwhelming. <laughs> just got choked up. Just remember sitting on my board in the dawn light and it was so peaceful as the swells came in, sitting on my board in the quiet, in the morning light. It's overwhelming beauty. It was restorative for my soul. So the ocean is overwhelming. And one thing that I also learned in surfing is that frantic flailing is never a good thing. <laughs> so either frantic flailing as you're paddling out and there's a set that comes in all of a sudden and frantic flailing is not going to get you out to where you need to be or flailing once you get knocked off your board you kind of have to just surrender to the moment and remain calm and actually you counterintuitively need to dive down underneath the wave frantic flailing is never a good thing in the ocean or even if you're just swimming and you get worried frantic flailing can be dangerous and so this morning, I think uh, we see a little bit of uh, frantic flailing in Peter's response to this moment on the Mount. And so as we hear the scripture, 
I want you to have this in your mind. God directs us, directs our attention to Jesus. God directs our attention to Jesus who puts us on our feet. God directs our attention to Jesus who puts us on our feet. So this is Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Well, he was still speaking. Suddenly, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks, God. God directs our attention to Jesus, who picks us up and puts us on our feet. So Jesus takes his kind of inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up a mountain. And Jesus has done this before, or Jesus will withdraw to a solitary place to pray. And so they probably maybe are thinking, okay, we're going on a special little prayer retreat with Jesus. They get up on top of the mountain, and all of a sudden, Jesus is glowing white. His face is bright shining. And suddenly, there are Moses and Elijah. Moses the representative of the law and Elijah, representative of the prophets, pillars of the Jewish faith. They're there with Jesus. And there's this awe-inspiring, holy moment. And then there's Peter <laughs> talking, talking in the midst of this moment. He's talking almost immediately, and he has a plan. And Peter in just chapter 16, we've seen the high and the low of Peter. Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ when Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then almost immediately, <laughs> Peter's being told to get behind me, Satan, by Jesus, because when Jesus predicts his death, Peter says, oh, Lord, forbid it. That can't happen. And so here again, we see Peter in this holy moment, all of a sudden planning. And I think in a subtle way, this is him still kind of in denial of what is going to happen to Jesus. He wants to remain in this moment. Let's build three dwellings, one for Elijah and one for you and, and one for Moses to kind of commemorate this moment, to stay here. 
but it's also an allusion to the festival of tabernacles. It's one of the three major Jewish festivals, and it was a time of remembering how God had delivered Israel out of Egypt. It's a time of remembering God's deliverance and provision and that God is sending a Messiah. Peter is good intentioned here, but he just, he starts blabbing and he's got this plan for this moment and he just kind of misses the point. In some ways, he, he's actually putting Jesus on the same plane as Moses and Elijah. Let's build three dwellings, one for each of you. And he's missing that Jesus, the Messiah, is right here in front of him. He also sets about to doing before listening. There's this frenetic busyness to Peter. Let's build three booths to commemorate this moment, to stay in this moment. And well, Peter is still talking, verse 5 says, well, he was still talking. Suddenly, there's a voice from a luminous cloud that interrupts Peter. And this voice levels Peter. It levels James and John along with him. And they are flat on their faces when this voice from the luminous cloud, like that luminous cloud that God's voice spoke to Moses when he was given the Ten Commandments, this voice that they heard at Jesus' baptism, but now there's Jesus glowing and there's a luminous cloud and this powerful voice of God levels them because God's holiness is too much. It's like those ocean waves that just knock you on your feet or off your board and overwhelm you. God's holiness is too much for these disciples. Ash Wednesday, that's just around the corner, it's three days away, is a time when we are overwhelmed by God's holiness. Those traditional sentences spoken over you when you receive the ashes are from dust you have come and to dust you will return. It's a moment, a reminder of our mortality, that we are not God. And we are kind of leveled by God's word. Romans 3.23, that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is holy and completely other in this voice, the voice of God, the holy voice of God levels the disciples. And it repeats the baptismal announcement. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And God adds, listen to him. A good admonition to Peter, who just jumped in talking in this holy moment. Listen to him. Jesus is the one and only unique son of God. There is no one like Jesus. Moses and Elijah are not like Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus says in the Gospels, I have come to fulfill the law in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, 
But I say to you, Jesus interprets the law. He makes it understandable and expands it and fulfills it. Jesus is the one and only unique son of God. And there's this new addition, listen to him. God directs our attention to Jesus. He is to be the focal point of the disciples' vision, life, the one they are guided by and follow. And God, with this voice from the numinous cloud, interrupts Peter's egocentrism. You know, he said, I can build you three dwellings. He doesn't even include James and John, and we, we can build you. No, I can build you three dwellings for each of you. And just interrupts Peter's frenetic busyness. We live in a culture of frenetic busyness. If you're like me, I'm tempted to be busy and doing all the time. I need to do more to get ahead or do more to slow down aging and do more to love my neighbor, to confront the injustices in my community and to confront the racial injustice and to confront everything that's broken around me. I need to do more and do something in the face of the tragedy we've seen in Turkey and Syria in the aftermath of the earthquake. We need to do something in response to the war in Ukraine. There's always something to do. And we are commanded to love our neighbor. There's so, we need to do something to love our neighbor. And many of these things I've just said are good things. We do need to love our neighbor and obedience to God's word isn't just hearing, but it's also doing as a Apostle James reminds us, but God directs our attention to Jesus and says, listen to him. Peter, before you start planning, listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus who puts you on your feet. And that's what we see Jesus doing. Jesus goes over to the disciples who have been leveled by the holiness of God, and he touches them. He touches them. Because Jesus is fully God and fully human. He has real hands, a beating heart, and he touches the disciples and says to them, do not be afraid. Get up. Get up. Do not be afraid. God's holiness can be leveling. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe on a Sunday morning or in time of prayer or reading scripture where God just, as the Bible says, cuts you to the heart. But God in Jesus, Jesus is the full expression of God's love. Jesus is the authorized self-definition of God, the full revelation of God's will. And he comes and he touches the disciples and says, get up, do not be afraid. And they listen. And they get up. And they look around. And did you catch what it said? And all they saw, it was just Jesus. 
No one except <laughs> Jesus alone. God directs our attention to Jesus alone. Moses and Elijah are no longer there, and Jesus is not glowing anymore. There's Jesus. Jesus then leads them down the mountain, it says. And they come down the mountain back to everyday life. And from this point forward in Matthew's gospel, we are headed towards the cross. We are on a journey to the cross. And the disciples have this new instruction to listen to Jesus. And they will need to listen to him as they walk this suffering road to the cross as they go into the dark valley where Jesus is crucified and dead in an empty tomb. They will need to listen to Jesus as he is raised to life. And he says to them, as the Father sent me, so I send you. You are my witnesses to the ends of the earth. They will need to listen to him as they go out into the world. Listening is, in the biblical sense, believing. And believing is to hear God's word and obey it, to do it. It's not just a rational consent, but it's a, a life lived of hearing and doing, hearing and doing, hearing and doing. Lent, which begins in three days, is a time Often when we think of fasting, maybe you've already started thinking, what am I going to give up for Lent? And that can be a good thing. Fasting or giving something up is a way, as Jesuits say, to detach from our inordinate attachments. Those things that maybe we love a little too much, that we uh, love more than Jesus or we depend on for comfort or whatever it may be more than Jesus. So fasting can be a good thing, but Lent can also be a season of taking on something, taking on a spiritual discipline of some kind. And so as I've thought and prayed about this scripture passage and what it means that God directs our attention to Jesus and that he lifts us up, puts us on our feet to follow him, I found myself asking and wondering, how can I listen to you anew this season? How can I listen to you in a new way, afresh during this season of Lent? And so I wonder, as we go out from this place this Sunday, if maybe as we enter the season of Lent, we can consider how God might be directing our attention to Jesus, that we might listen afresh. What might you be able to take on to direct your attention, to aid you in that listening? Maybe the first thing is just to ask God and then listen. God, how do you want me to listen to you? How can I listen to you better? And then be quiet. Don't be like Peter and start planning. But listen, be quiet. 
And as Dallas Willard says, sometimes we might not hear most of the time, unless you have a, a special gift, you don't hear an audible voice. But Dallas Willard says that God often speaks to us in that small, still voice. God speaks to us in our thoughts. And so if we are praying and we're seeking God's will, we ought to trust what might come to mind as we ask God, how do you want me to listen to you? And if we're quiet and listening, what comes to mind might be God speaking to you, his answer. Or here are some other ways that you might listen to God. Centering prayer is one way. Simple explanation of that is to sit in silence, set a timer for five or 10 or 20 minutes. 20 is better if you have it, but maybe you don't. Start out small and be quiet. Don't utter words, just be quiet. And what, all of a sudden it will happen. Your mind will start thinking about something or racing and just have a holy word that brings you back to sit in God's presence. It might be Jesus or grace, whatever holy word might draw you back, peace. When you find your mind racing, just say that holy word and come back to silence and be still in God's presence. Or maybe for Lent, you memorize one verse and you sit and ponder that one verse in silence for a minute or two each day. Those little moments you have, instead of picking up your phone and scrolling, sit for a minute in silence and think of that verse that you're memorizing. My kids and I, and my wife, we uh, are getting tattoos every month. It's called Dwell. It's a great thing. You get these little temporary tattoos. We're not getting real tattoos. <laughs> <clears throat> I do have a real tattoo, but uh, they're temporary tattoos that you can put somewhere. And then it's got the first letter of every word in a Bible verse and like a little design. And it's just so fun way to memorize scripture, but then also to have a reminder when you see it during the day. Or lastly, maybe you pray like the ancient church, the Lord's Prayer, three times a day, in morning, midday, and evening, and then just take a minute afterwards to be quiet and trust God to provide, to forgive, to be God. God directs our attention to Jesus, who puts us on our feet to follow him, to listen to him, to trust him. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.